Joshua chapter 13 is where we're going to be starting. And I think we'll probably move along pretty quickly through this particular portion of Scripture. Beginning tonight and uh, maybe the next time, um, we're going to be looking at the division of the land. Before we begin that, just kind of a recap, chapter 12 began with the reference to the kingdoms that Moses had defeated on the other side, the eastern side of the Jordan. Uh, that was territory that wasn't included in the land of Canaan specifically. It's outside of Canaan. But you may remember in your study of the book of Genesis, God had told Abraham that he would give that land, the land of Canaan, to his descendants. <coughs> Excuse me. And about 400 years would transpire before that would take place. When Moses came along, that was the beginning of the fulfillment of that promise to Abraham. But Moses had told the people of Israel that the land that they were going to inherit actually would be much larger than the land of Canaan, which is now modern-day Israel, more or less, on the western side of Jordan, but it included much of the land between the Mediterranean Sea and the Euphrates River. Now, the people of Israel have never occupied the entirety of that land which was promised by God through Moses. However, the land that Moses was able to take for the children of the two and a half tribes that we've mentioned in the past, Gad, Reuben, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, was part of that inheritance that Moses had promised his people. And I point that out because there are some who would argue that that portion of the land that was occupied by uh, people outside of the land of Canaan was not part of the inheritance that God had promised to the nation of Israel, but it most certainly was. In fact, I'd like to read a portion of Psalm 135 that gives credence to what I'm saying here. Psalm 135, beginning with verse 8, says, He destroyed the firstborn of Egypt, both of man and beast. He sent signs and wonders into the midst of you, O Egypt, upon Pharaoh and all his servants. And then it says, He defeated many nations and slew mighty kings. Among them, Sihon, king of the Amorites, Og, king of Bashan, and all the kingdoms of kingdoms of Canaan, and gave their land as a heritage, a heritage to Israel, his people. So the land that Moses conquered on the eastern side of the Jordan was part of the heritage that God intended for his people to inherit. I mention that again because there are some who say that it was wrong for the Gadites and the Reubenites and the half-tribe of Manasseh to ask for that land. Well, no, I don't believe it was. It was part of God's plan. In fact, it was only a portion of God's total plan, as I indicated. They were to have taken all of the land, and ultimately they will occupy all of that land from the Mediterranean Sea all the way to the Euphrates River. Now, we'll see that fulfilled uh, in the future. Ezekiel talks about that. There's another division of the land that will take place in the end days. And that division will include much larger areas of land than what has been given to the nation of Israel any time during their history 
as they've existed as a nation. But here in, again, chapter 12, he began by talking about those kingdoms that were conquered by Moses. And from verse 7 on to the end of chapter 12, he talks about the 31 kings in their cities that were defeated by Joshua and his armies during the Canaanite invasion. And that completed the conquest of the land as far as the armies of Israel who were all together united as one army fighting against the people in the land of Canaan. From this point on, they will still have battles, but it will be up to the individual tribes within their individual territories to occupy all of the land that will be given to them. And that's basically what chapters 13 through 19 are going to be talking about, the dividing of the land. So here in chapter 13, where we're going to be tonight, we'll read portions of that particular series of events. But we're not going to read every detail. Frankly, it's a very, very difficult read because there are so many names that I really don't have a good handle on being able to pronounce them. It would be a very tedious read, and I'm not really sure that we would get very much out of all of this section, but I do want to pull out of this portion of Scripture some, I think, very important and helpful bits of information as we move forward rather quickly through these chapters. I'll try to do that, and then we'll see where the Lord leads as far as our uh, discussion of those particular things that are pointed out in this passage that we're looking at tonight and probably next time. Well, verse 1 of chapter 13 begins by saying this, Now Joshua was old, advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, You are old, advanced in years, and there remains very much land yet to be possessed. So by this time, obviously the Lord recognizes that Joshua is getting older. Now you may remember Moses was 80 years old when he began ministering to the people in Egypt while they were still slaves. Forty years later, at 120, he's brought to Mount Pisgah uh, to uh, basically die, and then Joshua will now take over. That 40 years was a time of wandering in the wilderness because of the people's sin against the Lord at the territory just south of Canaan that is identified as uh, Kadesh Barnea. They refused to enter into the land because 10 out of the 12 spies that Moses had sent into the land came back with a negative report. Oh, there are too many walled cities. There are giants in the land. There are so many of them. We can never possibly take this land as God had said he would do for us. They just did not trust the Lord. Contrary to that, both Caleb and Joshua gave a good report. God is with us. He will do it for us. He has promised that already. All we need to do is trust in the Lord. Well, it turned out that the people wanted to stone Joshua and Caleb for their report. They wanted to go back to Egypt. Well, they didn't go back to Egypt, but they certainly didn't go into the land, not that generation. From the age of 20 on, the people of that generation did not go into the land. It's a sad commentary on 
the state of being when it is unbelief that drives people. Unbelief kept them from the land of promise. And it's certainly a very, very strong lesson for all of us. Verse 30 of chapter 14 in the book of of Exodus, rather the book of Numbers, chapter 14, the book of Numbers, beginning with verse 30, well, I'm going to say verse 28. God is speaking, say to them, talking to, about the people, talking to Moses about the people of Israel, say to them, as I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. The carcasses of you who have complained against me shall fall in this wilderness. All of you who were numbered according to your entire number from 20 years old and above. They all expired in the land because of their unbelief. Except for, it says in verse 30, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun, you shall by no means enter the land which I swore I would make you dwell in. But your little ones, whom you said would be victims, I will bring in, and they shall know the land which you have despised. But as for you, your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness. That is the condition that God had placed upon the nation of Israel. They would not enter the land of promise because they would not change their unwillingness to obey Him. And that unbelief resulted in their demise. Now, they have entered the land, the second generation. Joshua and Caleb are the only two adults remaining that entered into the land. And all of the Children of Israel in that first generation have expired with the exception of those 20 years or younger. They all entered the land along with the second generation. And I mention Caleb because he's part of this portion that we'll be looking at today. He's a very, very important uh, inclusion in this portion of Scripture for a very particular reason. We'll get to Caleb in a few moments. But before we do, chapter 13 begins that division of the land that is promised and talking about how much land still is yet to be conquered. And the first couple of verses from verse 2 onward down to verse 6 describe the territory that they've already completely conquered, but there's so much more to yet be conquered. And it says in verse 7, Now therefore divide this land as an inheritance to the nine tribes and half the tribe of Manasseh. So the two and a half tribes have already gotten their inheritance. The other nine and a half tribes will then be given their inheritance as well. Verse 8 of chapter 13 says this, With the other half tribe, the Reubenites and the Gadites, received their inheritance, which Moses had given them, beyond the Jordan eastward, as Moses the servant of the Lord had given them. Then dropping down to verse 12, it says, All the kingdoms of Og in Bashan, who reigned in Ashtaroth and Edrei, who remained of the remnant of the giants, for Moses had defeated and cast out these. Nevertheless, the children of Israel did not drive out the Geshurites or the Maacathites, but the Geshurites and the Maacathites dwell among the Israelites until this day. Only to the tribe of Levi 
he had given no inheritance. The sacrifices of the Lord God of Israel made by fire are their inheritance, as he said to them. A couple of things to point out here. Again, God has affirmed that the defeat of Og and Sihon was according to his will, and that land that they had once ruled over was to be given as an inheritance to the children of Israel, the tribes of Gad, Reuben, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. But notice also what he says about the tribe of Levi in this portion that we just read. Verse 14, read it again. It says, only to the tribe of Levi he had given no inheritance. Isn't that amazing that one tribe out of all the tribes of Israel is not given an inheritance of land? Instead, they had a different kind of inheritance. And he's going to mention the tribe of Levi in more than one place, and that's why I'm putting a little bit of an emphasis on that particular tribe at this time. Keep your eyes open, your ears open, to a reference to the Levites again as we continue reading through this portion that we're looking at tonight. It's very important. He says here in verse 14 that the Lord God of Israel made by fire are the sacrifices, rather, of the Lord God of Israel made by fire are their inheritance, as he said to them. They were to receive a portion of their daily provision from the sacrifices that were brought by the people of God on a daily basis. Many of the sacrifices were designed for specifically the Levites to be able to consume the meat from those sacrifices. And that was their inheritance, or at least part of what was their inheritance. But why was Levi set apart? Well, for more than one reason for certain, but the major reason was because they were willing to step across the line after the rebellion that resulted in the death of so many thousands of people. They were the one tribe who stepped toward Moses to take the action that was necessary that God intended after that rebellion had taken place in the wilderness by Moab. And they were rewarded by the Lord to be the tribe that he would select to do all that was required in the sacrificial system that was to be designed by God through Moses. And they were to be chosen for that one purpose. And as a result, they were not to inherit any of the land. Well, of course, the land was divided into 12 tribes. We've already seen that, the two and a half tribes on the eastern side, and we just read that the nine and a half tribes remaining would be given land on the western side of the Jordan. So how does that add up? Jacob had 12 sons, but there's 13 tribes in all that are identified for us in these passages that we're looking at. Well, of course, the answer is Jacob took to himself the two sons of Joseph, Manasseh and Ephraim. Joseph was his immediate child by birth, but because of the arrangement that God had made for Joseph to be brought into Egypt and then become second to Pharaoh and then having the people from Canaan, Jacob and all of his other sons, coming down to Egypt and living in Egypt at Joseph's bequest, when Jacob first set his eyes on Jacob, on, on Joseph, he was amazed that he would even see his son again. Never thought that that would happen. 
But then he found that Joseph had two sons. And in that conversation that he had with Joseph in the book of Genesis, we find Jacob taking Manasseh and Ephraim as his own sons. They became part of his immediate family by inheritance, by adoption. They were entered into that covenant arrangement that would be made for all of the tribes of Israel. So, instead of Levi taking property, now we have the two sons of Joseph taking property in the land of Canaan. And that's how we come up with, obviously, the twelve tribes that are divided for the nation of Israel. Now, if you go through the scriptures, and you probably should understand this, that not all of the twelve tribes are identified in the same way throughout the Word of God. For instance, in the book of Revelation, we find a deviation there from the list of twelve tribes that you find here in this portion of Scripture. And there's reason for that, which I won't go into detail about, but suffice it to say that this portion has to do with those descendants of Jacob specifically in addition to those who were his sons, the two grandsons as well, and Levi is taken care of in a separate way, different and distinct from the rest of the tribes. Verse 15 says, And Moses had given to the tribe of the children of Reuben an inheritance according to their families. And it gives from verse 16 down to verse 21 the specific boundaries of that territory. And again, this is where we're going to be skipping through some portions of Scripture. This is one of them. You can read it at your leisure if you want. It's just a bunch of names, towns, cities we do nothing, know nothing of, uh, but it defined the borders for that particular tribe at that day. And then in verse 22, it tells us the children of Israel also killed with the sword Balaam, the son of Beor, the soothsayer, among those who were killed by them. So the territory of Gad included the land where Balaam was living. He was a prophet, remember, a Gentile, but yet he prophesied on behalf of Israel against what Balak, the king of Moab, had intended. You remember the story in Numbers chapter 22 in particular. Balaam was indeed a prophet that God used to help his people Israel. But Balaam also was a very greedy man. And he devised a way to make a profit out of this, even though he refused to tell Balak what Balak wanted. He ultimately condescended and received a sum of money for his willingness to tell Balak how it was that the people of Israel could be, well, self-defeated. It wasn't because Balak was going to do anything with his army. He ended up telling him how to conquer the people of Israel by destroying them morally. And that's what they did. And that was a result of Balaam having given Balak the instructions that led to that terrible disaster in the land of Moab before they crossed over into the land of Canaan. Balaam again was living in that land that was given to, I think I said Gad, but it was Reuben. 
Now the next portion is the land of Gad, beginning with verse 24. And it says simply, Moses had also given inheritance to the tribe of Gad, to the children of Gad, according to their families. And then the territory of Gad is recorded for us in verses 25 through 28. And then in verse 29, we're told the territory of the land of that half-tribe of Manasseh on the east side. It says in verse 29, Moses also had given an inheritance to half the tribe of Manasseh, and it was for half the tribe of the children of Manasseh according to their families. And verses 30 through 32 describe that territory and the boundaries of it. But verse 33 says, again, reference to a different tribe. Verse 33 says, But to the tribe of Levi, Moses had given no inheritance. The reason? The Lord God of Israel was their inheritance, as he had said to them. So the sacrifices of God at the altar were their inheritance. Now he says, the Lord God himself is their inheritance. And that's a special statement that I believe we should be considering for our own benefit. Because the Lord God is our inheritance as well. Although it said in other places, we are the Lord's inheritance. But it's well said and it is true that God is our inheritance. And we are, like the people of, this, of, of the Levites, a very special priesthood. Peter tells us that. We're a holy nation, a royal priesthood. We are priests unto God, the writer of Hebrews tells us. And as such, we have God as our inheritance, just as the Levites did. So it's very important. The Levites were not to inherit land, but they had a great inheritance nonetheless. Well, verse 1 of chapter 14 talks now about the division of the land on the west side of Jordan, that land that Joshua and his armies had conquered. And it tells us in verse 1 of chapter 14, these are the areas which the children of Israel inherited in the land of Canaan, which Eleazar the priest, Joshua the son of Nun, and the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel distributed as an inheritance to them. Their inheritance was by lot, as the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses for the nine tribes and the half-tribe. For Moses had given the inheritance of the two tribes and the half-tribe on the other side of the Jordan, but to the Levites he had given no inheritance among them. For the children of Joseph were two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim, and they gave no part to the Levites in the land except cities to dwell in, with their common lands for their livestock and their property. As the Lord had commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did, and they divided the land. There's a few things that I want to point out here in this portion that we've just read. First of all, it tells us that not just Joshua, but there were others involved in the decisions that were to be made in the divvying out of the land. The dividing of the land wasn't solely determined by Joshua. That was according to what God had told Moses. As a matter of fact, the very same words and people that are mentioned here in chapter 14 of the book of Judges are also mentioned in Numbers chapter 34, verse 16. And it says basically the same thing. God speaking to Moses 
And it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses. This is Numbers 35, verse six, uh, 34, rather, verse 16. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, These are the names of the men who shall divide the land among you as an inheritance. Eleazar the priest, and Joshua the son of Nun, and you shall take one leader of every tribe to divide the land for their inheritance. Exactly as Moses had said, is now what Joshua and the leaders of the tribes are now doing, precisely with the named individuals. And one particular individual that is not named in Judges, uh, Joshua, but is named in Numbers, is important. It says in verse 18 of chapter 34 of the book of Numbers, And you shall take one leader of every tribe to divide the land for the inheritance. And these are the names of the men. From the tribe of Judah, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. That's important because we're going to see here in chapter 14 that Caleb is very much involved in that decision-making process, but he's also got a very particular request that he's going to make based upon what Moses had told him many, many years before. Verse 6 of chapter 14 of the book of Joshua says this, Then the children of Judah came to Joshua in Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know the word which the Lord God said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. I was forty years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought back word to him as was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. So Moses swore on that, saying, Surely the land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. It's amazing that Caleb, at the age of 40, when they went into the land, or rather, when they entered into the wilderness, had to wait a very long time for that promise to be fulfilled. And that's an interesting point that I'd like to make with all of you, that we have promises that God has given to us as well. And sometimes it seems like there's no likelihood that those promises will ever be fulfilled because, after all, it's taken years, perhaps, and we're still waiting. Well, are we? Does that mean that God has changed His mind? that his promise is not going to be fulfilled, that he doesn't really want to for one reason or another. No, his promises are still valid promises. And keep in mind that Caleb ultimately had to wait 45 years for that promise that was given by Moses to be fulfilled. And that was a very long time. But he was faithful and he trusted God all of that many, many years. And that's a great example for all of us who are sometimes feeling like, well, maybe I was wrong. Maybe God didn't really promise me that. Don't say such things if it was based upon what you know that you prayed for, that God confirmed that your word to Him and His word to you are really very, very important to God. He was found faithful. And that was the criterion that God used through Moses 
to bless him with such a great promise. And now it's time for them to enter into the land. And Caleb is one of the men that was assigned by the Lord through Moses to divide up all of the land, was first to speak. And it was for that one portion of land that he believed would be his by God's having promised it to him. Again, it says, Moses swore on that day, verse 9 of chapter 14, Surely the land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. That's the reason, that's the criterion that God used, because he was faithful. You wholly followed the Lord, and you will be rewarded. Now take note of the fact, back in verse 6, that it says something about uh, Caleb that perhaps you might not have noticed. But Caleb was from a Gentile family. He was a Kenizzite, we're told. And in the book of Genesis, chapter 15, verse 19, we're told that the Kenizzites and the Kenites were among the Canaanite tribes living in the land when Jacob, or rather when Abraham was in the land. And I mention that because somewhere along the line, one of Caleb's descendants was drawn to the Hebrew faith. We're not told anything about that. All we know is that Caleb's father was named Jephunneh. And Jephunneh is a distinctly Hebrew name. So somewhere along his ancestry, there was an interrelational arrangement between a Kenizzite and one of the women of the Hebrew race. And as a result, they became slaves in Egypt. And their descendants, among them Caleb and Jephunneh, at least Caleb was a young man when he entered into the wilderness with the people of Israel. He was accepted among the people of Israel as a proselyte Gentile, but was very, very highly respected throughout his many years in service to Moses and now to Joshua. He's proven himself, and he's received a great blessing as a result of that. Even though he's not an Israelite, he was rewarded for his faithfulness to the God of Israel. That's important for us to realize. Again, he says, I was 40 years old when we were in Kadesh Barnea. And he says, Now, verse 10, Behold, the Lord has kept me alive, and has, as he said, these 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now here I am this day, 85 years old. So we're told that if he was 40 years old when they did not enter the land and wandered for 40 years in the wilderness, that now he's 85 years old, that tells us that the conquest of Israel, the wars that took place to divide the land, before they divided the land, but conquer the land, took five years, or perhaps six years, but at least five years, and now he is 85 years old. Now, going back to the beginning of what we read tonight, in chapter 13, Joshua was old, advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, you are old and advanced in years. Now we're seeing Caleb saying, hey, I'm 85 years old, but 
Listen to what he says about himself in verse 11. As yet, I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. He has not stopped at all. He hasn't slowed down. He's still going strong. He's like the Energizer Bunny. Keeps going and going and going. 85 years old and still very strong. And even though he was about the same age as Joshua, and remember Joshua lived to about 110, we don't know how old Joshua is at this present time. But he was probably slightly older than Caleb, perhaps in his 90s. But here, Caleb is 85 years old, he tells us. And he's ready to take on this territory. What's the territory? This is the territory given in verse 12. He says, Now therefore give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard in that day how the Anakim were there, and that the cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord said. And Joshua blessed him and gave him Hebron, the son of Jephunneh, Caleb, received that inheritance, the city of Hebron, as an inheritance. And Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenazite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. And the name of Hebron formerly was Kirjath Abba. And Abba was the greatest man among the Anakim. And then the land had rest from war. Caleb was able to conquer the giants in the land. He knew that he could have done it 45 years before. And now he has the privilege, the honor, the opportunity to prove himself before the people of God. And he has done so. He's a great man of faith. And a great example for us to do what he did with regard to the promises that God has given to him and to us. Stick with it. God is on your side. He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. He will not take back what he has said. He made a covenant with David. He made a covenant with Abraham. He made a covenant with Jacob. He made a covenant with Israel. He made a covenant with all the people of God. He makes a covenant with you and me. And that covenant stands because he said. That's nothing to do with anything that we are doing. It's all by the grace of God. Well, verse 1 of chapter 15 says, So this was a lot of the tribe of the children of Judah, according to their families. And then it proceeds to discuss, again, the boundaries of the tribe of Judah and all the land that would be given to them. It's important to note that that was a very large tract of land given to them. And I'm going to point out that later on as we read the final distribution of land, uh, probably not tonight, but perhaps next time. But in verse 8, saying, saying something very important here that I want to take note of, in that distribution of the land, it tells us in verse 8 of chapter uh, 15, and the border went up by the valley of the son of Hinnom to the southern slope of the Jebusite city, which is Jerusalem. The border went up to the top of the mountain that lies before the valley of Hinnom westward, which is at the end of the valley of Rephaim northward. Here he's making sure that it's understood that Judah is the tribe 
within which the city of Judah, the city of Benjamin rather, <laughs> the city of Jerusalem is indeed part of that territory. That's significant. It says it's a Jebusite city, and it was. And it remained so all of the years until the time of David. Jerusalem was still undefeated as a city in the territory of Judah until the time of David. They weren't able to conquer them. They remained in the land. They remained in the city of Jerusalem. It was an unconquered city. There were several cities that were left unconquered. And we'll continue to see that as we move forward through the study of God's Word. There were portions of the land that they never were able to con conquer. The land of what is now known as the Gaza Strip, then occupied by the Philistines. They never conquered that portion of the land. They never conquered Tyre and Sidon as they were supposed to. But that remained part of the territory of the Sidonians. They were never taken, as were the case in many, many other places throughout the land. Now, you may remember that God had told through Moses the people of Israel that he was going to give them all the land, but he would take it little by little. The conquering wasn't to be done and would never have been accomplished all at once. And the reason for that is because God knew that they were not a people large enough, strong enough to spread themselves that thin. So it would take some time for them to do that. But it was still the requirement of all the peoples that were assigned each of these territories to indeed finish the work. Individually, each tribe would take the cities that hadn't yet been conquered within their territory. That was not done very, very well. And that was a problem that we know existed in the land of Canaan that was the result of their finally turning away from their God. Before we get any further into the division of the various tribes and their territories, chapter 15 continues with a reference to Caleb. We're still in the territory of Judah, and verses 9 all the way down through chapter, verse 12 described again a continuation of the distribution of land for the tribe of Judah. But in verse 13, it turns back now to a discussion of Caleb and some of the things that he had to deal with individually as he took over that territory that he had conquered. It says in verse 13, Now to Caleb the son of Jephunneh, he gave a share among the children of Judah according to the commandment of the Lord to Joshua, namely Kirjath Arba, which is Hebron. Arba was the father of Anak. Again, he's mentioning that that was one of the giants in the land and the Anakim were the descendants of this man, Arba. That's why it was known as Kirjath Arba until Joshua's time, and it was known as Hebron or Hebron from that point on. Verse 14 says, Caleb drove out the three sons of Anak from there, Shishai, Ahaman, and Talmai, the children of Anak. And then he went up from there to the inhabitants of Deber, formerly the name of the Deber was Kirjath Sefer. And Caleb said, He who attacks Kirjath Sefer and takes it, to him 
I will give Aksa my daughter as wife. So Othniel, the son of Kenaz, the brother of Caleb, took it, and he gave him Aksa his daughter as wife. And now it was so when she came to him that she persuaded him to ask her father for a field. So she dismounted from her donkey, and Caleb said to her, What do you wish? And she answered, Give me a blessing, since you have given me land in the south. Give me also springs of water. So he gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. So it's interesting on two points here that I want to point out. First, the one who conquered that city, his name is Othniel. He's Caleb's nephew, and he's given one of Caleb's daughters to be his wife. Othniel is one of the first judges recorded for us in the book of Judges. He became a great man, a deliverer in the land of Israel, not long after Joshua had died and the time of the judges had begun. And he is, again, a very important person in the deliverance of the people from those who were oppressing them as a result of their having fallen away from their Lord, even at that early stage in their existence, as people who had entered the land and had been taught the Word of God, and they were given great, great privilege and blessings and promises, but they did not take the inheritance in its entirety. Again, there's a difference between taking the promises of God and taking the inheritance of God. But this particular individual, Othniel, was given Caleb's daughter to become his wife. She decided, not Othniel, but she decided that the property that they were given was in the southern territory. It was a kind of a dry place, and it was not satisfactory to her liking. So she went to Cable and asked him for some particular favor. She wanted to have a portion of land given where she would have a guarantee of water. Give me a blessing, she said in verse 9, since you have given me land in the south, which is the Negev. Give me also springs of water. And so he gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. She wanted more than what was given, and it was granted to her because she was just simply willing to ask. And I see that as something that God has really inspired here as an important statement to us, an example, again, to how God functions with regard to his people. Because Paul tells us very specifically that God is always willing to give us exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. He wants to give us great and mighty things, more than we can ask for. And he does. But we need to ask for them. So keep that in mind. As we continue going through these various portions of Scripture, that's a very important aspect of what God has spoken through his word to us. Again, that's why we're reading these portions, not because we need to know how the land was divided. That was primarily for the people of Israel. It's a good study, by the way, and many of the name places or the words in Hebrew are completely useful in terms of seeing the importance of those names as it pertained to the people of God. But it's also important for us to realize that those are name places 
of territories that we have very, very little information about. I would recommend every one of us taking the time to read through these literally, word by word, with a Bible map beside us. And take a look at the Bible map that you have available to you that shows you the division of the land. And you can see how much more than what they actually conquered at the first was given to them. It's a good study. But finally, we're going to end with verse 63 of chapter 15. And we'll skip from verse 20 all the way through to the uh, end of the chapter. Because again, it was the inheritance of the tribe of Judah that's given here. And then he begins to outline the various cities and the people who would occupy those cities. But verse 63, again, tells us this. As for the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the children of Judah could not drive them out. But the Jebusites dwell with the children of Judah at Jerusalem to this day. So obviously the book of Joshua, most of which was written by Joshua, but some of which was written later, certainly didn't see the fulfillment of God's plan for the city of Jerusalem. But they knew it was going to happen. It just was going to take a short while. Well, more than a short while, another 400 years. But it was certainly something that God was going to make very, very certain. The people of Israel would indeed take that city. It's still God's preference to be the city that He desires to dwell in. Jerusalem belongs to God, not to the Palestinians. It's not a world city. It is God's city. And it will remain so. God will see to it. There's no question in my mind, and I believe it's going to be proven sooner than later. As we approach that day when the culmination of all things finally takes place, including that time of Jacob's trouble known as the seven years of tribulation, entering into the millennial reign of Christ, he will reign from Jerusalem. There's much that needs to be done between now and then. And we're still here, and because we're still here, there's work for us to do. We're to shine light. We're to invite anyone who would come into the family of God. As Caleb was included, so would be anyone who desires to know the truth and to have the truth impact their lives in such a way as to see that truth of God become a reality in them, and that truth sets them free. That's our purpose. That's our goal in these last days, to bring as many as will come into the family of God by the power of the Holy Spirit, because it is He who draws all men to Himself. But there, again, must still be a time for that to continue, because the fullness of Gentiles hasn't yet come in. And when that fullness of Gentiles has been fulfilled, then will be the time when the church will be taken out so let's continue to be faithful to God until that day. And let's occupy the land until He comes.